0: Our Old Testament text is from Hosea 14. We're taking a one-week break, maybe two-week break, given the next week's Easter. I haven't thought that far ahead for the evening service for next week, but um, at least for tonight, taking a break from Genesis, um, given, the, uh, given the occasion of new members joining the church. And also, in light of the Easter season, we're heading into Easter week. It's Good Friday. Uh, we're having a joint Good Friday service next Friday at Hilltop. And I won't get to preach a Good Friday sermon, Uh, so this is uh, the next best thing. Uh, So I decided to take a little break here and dip into John chapter 13 for tonight. Uh, About our Old Testament reading, it's Hosea 14, 1 through 9. Let's give our full attention now to God's holy word. O Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity, receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria shall not save us, we will not ride on horses, nor will we say any more to the work of our hands, you are our gods, for in you the fatherless finds mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread, his beauty shall be like an olive tree, and his fragrance like Lebanon. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard and, and observed him. I am like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. And our New Testament text, John 13, 1 through 17. Now before the the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself, You have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I've done to you? If you do them, amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Lord, we turn to you and ask that you would indeed speak your word, the very words of life. And Lord, give us ears to hear. Let our hearts not be hard, but wide open to embrace Christ as he's offered to us here in these pages. And Lord, to follow him. This we pray in his name. Amen. What a wonderful picture, isn't that? John 13, of the love of Christ and the humility of Christ as our Savior, brothers and sisters. This passage takes us right into the heart of Christ and to the very heart of the gospel. It's hard, I think, to, 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 to say there's another passage in scripture that, that, that rivals this one for what it teaches us about the gospel of Christ, about what the gospel means. Not, not only, yes, the, the, the grace of Christ, the loveliness of Christ, the worth of Christ, the humility of Christ, and also how we must respond to Christ. What happens to us when we trust a Christ like this in John 13? John uh, here we are called to uh, love this Savior and follow Him um, in, this, in His humility. As John 13 begins, uh, John John pulls us right into the drama. Uh, This is the night before Jesus' crucifixion. Uh, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. They're celebrating the Passover. They're enjoying this final meal together. And Jesus knows what's about to happen, that he's about to be betrayed by Judas. The rest of the disciples are going to abandon him. Uh, The Jews are going to slander him, file false charges against him. The Romans are going to crucify him. Uh, and, and, and the wrath of God is going to be poured out on him. And he knows, Jesus, Jesus knows this. He knows that, that this is happening all tonight and tomorrow uh, for, for him. Um, his, his whole ministry has been pushing towards this, moving towards this. And now the hour has come. It's impossible to overstate the significance of, of, of this moment in all of history. The most significant person in all of history, the most significant moment in his life and here it is. We see him. And what does he do? Um, he shows his love for us. You can see John here. Uh, John's writing this gospel, of course, many years after these events have happened. And you can, you can picture him looking back on his Savior, uh, looking back at that night, that momentous, significant night, and remembering Jesus' actions. And as John is preparing, by the inspiration of the spirit, to, to tell this story about what Jesus did, uh, he's, he's, he's meditating on this, and he gives us this little note as the narrator here. He says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Um, he's summarizing for us Jesus' whole ministry. Having loved, he loved. Ha- having loved everything that Jesus has done for his people up to this point, everything in his ministry to his disciples from the very beginning, love and Love going on, going forward from, from Christ. Jesus loved his own. He loved him. He loved us in his incarnation. Uh, he loved us and taking on our nature, being born as a baby in, in Bethlehem and, and laid in a lowly stable. Why did he do all that? Because of his love. John is saying he, he lived his whole life quiet, patient, faithful, obedient to his Father, uh, uh, his life of long suffering. Why? Because he loved his own. He loved you and, and me. He, all, all that he did in his whole life through, John is saying, having love, his whole life can be summed up for his people as that. He loved his own who were in the world. One of our hymns puts it like this. Love caused your incarnation. Love brought you down to me. Your thirst for my salvation procured my liberty. Oh, love beyond all telling that led you to embrace in love all loves excelling our lost and fallen race. So everything up to this point in Jesus' life and ministry for his people, love for them. And, and now on the eve of his crucifixion, the love doesn't stop for his own. It continues. Uh, even though he knows that Judas is about to betray him, the rest of the disciples are about to abandon him. He goes on loving his own, to the end. Um, He's going to love them uh, all the way to the cross, to the crown of thorns and the whips and the nails and the mocking and the slandering and the being made a curse for us. He's going to keep on loving us all the way through all of that. His love for his own does not end. It, It cannot end. It will not end, brothers and sisters. And sometimes in our life, in our circumstances, we Lose that sense that he loves us because we, 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 get, we get focused on the circumstances. We get sick, or a loved one gets sick, or, or we're getting anxious about things that are outside of our control, or we're dissatisfied with, with something. And, and we think, well, if Jesus really loved me, then things would be different. I wouldn't be going through these things, uh, I wouldn't be suffering, anxious, upset, or stuck in this situation. But, brothers and sisters, when you're in that situation, lift up your eyes from the trench. At John 13, and the love of Christ for you. He, he has loved you. He will go on loving you. He, he loved you to the end. All that he did for his people can be summarized as a mission of love. So get that settled in your heart, brothers and sisters. His love for you. His love is a manifestation here of the love of God, which we read this in Jeremiah 31, 3. Wonderful words which Jesus... The words about Christ here echo these words, but Jeremiah 31.3 says, these are the words of God. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. The love of God for his people stretches all the way back into eternity past. When you were were dead in your sins, God loved you. Regardless of you and and your sin and, and, and your worthlessness, he loved you because he loved you before you were born, Jesus came to this earth because he loved you. Before you had done anything good or bad, he loved you. He died on the cross for you before you had even begun to exist. You were on his mind and in his heart, and he went to the cross for your sake. His love for you had no beginning, and his love for you will have no end. Thousands of years go by, on into eternity, millions, billions, endless times. His love for his people knows no end. And it's because of that love, brothers and sisters, it's because of that love that he gets up from the table where he's at here in John 13 and humbles himself and serves his disciples. Uh, The disciples are here. They're reclining at table in the fashion of the day. They're eating the Passover meal together, but uh, it seems like no one has washed their feet yet. Um, uh, In this culture, it was customary because of good reason that you washed people's feet when they came into your house for a meal. Uh, You're walking around in sandals. Uh, You're walking around in unpaved streets with dirt and muck and all the rest. Uh, And uh, uh, so when you come into a house, it's polite. It's the it's the kind and, and thoughtful and good host thing to do, to wash the feet of your of those who are there. Um, and so here they come into this in this upper room, and uh, it seems like no one is stooping to this task. This is the job that is left for the lowest of the low of the servants. Uh, this, this is the stinky, dirty, humiliating job. Of course, no one would want to do this job, um, but they come here and. Uh, it seems from, uh, from the description of the text that there's a pitcher of water there for this purpose, for washing the feet. There's a basin there, there's a towel there, but no one, there, there's no servant to do it. And so um, uh, no, one is, uh, no one is volunteering. Um, we read in the other Gospels they've actually been arguing about who's the greatest, and so not one of them is ready. To to get on his knees and start washing 13 pairs of stinky dirty feet Um, so no one does and the feet go unwashed so Jesus gets up he he was at the place of honor Um, right because he's he's the leader he's the master he's the lord but he gets up and uh, dead silence in the room I'm sure as he gets up from the table takes off his outer garments puts a towel around his waist, dressing himself like a servant, taking on the form of a servant. And he gets the pitcher, he gets the basin, he gets the towel, and he starts at one end and he, and he starts washing the feet. He would pour the, the water from the pitcher over the feet, collect it in the basin, dry it with a towel. And then on to the next disciple, from one to the next, to the next, washing each disciple's feet. These feet have followed him, but these feet are about to run from him the next day. Um, but he goes on washing their feet. This is an illustration for us of the condescension and the humility of Christ. Um, we read Paul's words in Philippians 2, 6-8. Uh, this is what we're seeing here, right? It says, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We get used to the idea of a humble Christ because we hear it over and over, right? But but who is this washing the dirty feet of the disciples? It is very God, a very God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's how John starts his gospel. And then the Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. But he's no less God. He's still the Lord, the I Am Yahweh, the Eternal One, worthy of honor and glory uh, forever and ever. But he doesn't grasp at it. He doesn't cling to it. He, he, gets, uh, he, he humbles himself. He takes on our nature. He puts on a servant's garb. He takes the lowest possible place. He takes up a cross, an instrument of torture and shame and to, to bear the wrath of God for our sins. He, he becomes humble and obedient all the way to death on a cross. This is not what was expected of him. This is not his job. This is not what he deserved. This is stunning humility. He says to his disciples in Luke twenty-two, twenty-seven, I am among you as one who serves. He's our servant. This is the marvelous way God relates to his people. We see it so powerfully in Christ, but it's prophesied in the Old Testament as well. And it's even pictured for us in Yahweh himself condescending, not, not taking on human flesh, but condescending to, to, to serve his people. We we read this in Hosea chapter 14, verse 8, earlier, where God says to his people, I am like an evergreen cypress tree. From me comes your fruit. Think about that, that image. God is making himself a tree to supply the needs of His people. God is comparing Himself to something that His people eat and enjoy and and get life from. God God is is showing His people that He is serving them. Gerhardus Voss has a sermon on Hosea 14.8 and he has these remarkable words. He says it might almost seem as if there were a, a reversal of the process of religion itself as God appears putting Himself at the service of man and that with the absolute generosity born of supreme love. This relation into which it pleases God to receive Israel with himself has in it a sublime abandon. It knows neither restraint nor reserve. That's how God loves and serves his people with a sublime abandon which knows no restraint or reserve, putting himself at the service of the life and the joy and the salvation of his undeserving people. And this is what we see here in our Lord Jesus Christ, getting up from the place of honor, getting on his knees and washing their filthy feet because he loves them. Brothers and sisters, this is how he loved and this is how he loves you. He humbled himself to die for you and to wash your dirty, sinful heart clean. Which is not the job that he should have had, but it's the job he gladly took on. Peter doesn't accept it, though. (laughs) Jesus gets to Peter, and Peter cries out in protest. He says, um, verse six, Lord, are you washing my feet? Uh, The Greek, both the you and the my, are are emphasized here. Jesus answers him in verse 7, telling Peter he doesn't understand this yet. He will afterward. uh, Peter is locked into a physical, earthly understanding. He doesn't see the symbolism of what Jesus is doing. Jesus promises him that he will. Peter, though, doesn't relent. He digs into his position. He says it again in verse 8. You shall never wash my feet. In the Greek, it's, it's so emphatic. He says uh, literally, not you shall wash my feet unto eternity. Never, Lord, are you going to wash my feet. He seems offended. Maybe he's offended because he thinks Jesus is better than this. Jesus, this is embarrassing. You're the Christ. You're the King. I want you to rise up in, in power and strength and, and overthrow the Romans and bring us into the, the kingdom of heaven here and now. I want, I want a strong Savior, not a humbled, suffering, lowly Savior. doesn't understand, perhaps, that Jesus came to be the humble, suffering servant uh, for his sins. I think he's also probably too proud to admit that he needs his feet washed by Jesus. Um, because to s- accept that, right, is to say that you have no boast, no strength, no pride, no merit in yourself. Uh, it, it means you are, you are needy. Um, you cannot accept Jesus washing your, your feet unless uh, you're poor in spirit, unless you've been humbled and you have a clear sense of your sin, that you're a bankrupt beggar spiritually before him. Um, you're not going to accept this. At this point, then, as Jesus is having this conversation with Peter, he he says to him, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. If I don't wash you, if I don't cleanse you of your sin is what he's is what he's communicating. You won't get a share in me. You won't have union and communion with me. Uh, you won't have a place in my kingdom. Um, Peter, Peter wants a place in Christ and a share in Christ and, and in his kingdom. So he responds here by blurting out, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But he, he's still missing the point. He's still thinking about this in an earthly way. I think he's looking at the washing as, a, as an outward thing, an earthly thing uh, that Jesus is doing, not the spiritual reality that it's signifying. So Jesus responds one more time, nudging him. Uh, towards understanding the spiritual reality. He says in verse 10, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, uh, but is completely clean. And and you are clean, but not all of you. Jesus is expanding the metaphor. If if you've bathed at home, uh, then you're clean. You don't need to get a bath from walking down the street and going to your neighbor's house. You just need your feet washed. Uh, You've already been cleansed. And he's trying to show Peter it's not about the physical cleansing. It's about the cleansing from sin, uh, the dirt of sin washed away. Right? The Old Testament uses the language of clean and unclean right, to show you need a holy heart before the Lord, a heart purified by the sacrifice, set apart for his purpose, cleansed of your stains, of your sins. And uh, Jesus is, is saying, all that was pointing to me. I must make you clean. And then he reassures Peter. Right? Peter's struggling to understand this. He's been arguing with his Savior about this. But then Jesus says these wonderful words to him You, you are clean, Peter. You, you know, you've already been cleansed. Your whole body's been cleansed. You've been cleansed of your sin because of the sacrifice that I'm about to make. Uh, only your feet need to be cleaned. right? You don't need to be re justified, um, you need to be forgiven of the sin you've stumbled into. Day by day. But you don't need to be re-justified before God when you've been made right with him. These are wonderful words as Jesus... Right, think about the context. He's speaking to Peter, and he expands it here to include everybody. He uses the plural you. He says, you are clean. And Peter's about to deny him three times. The disciples are about to abandon him. But he says to them, you're clean. Remember that. <laughs> Remember that as you go on and you sin, you fall away. Remember, you're clean. I've paid the price. I've cleansed you of your sins. But then he makes a qualification, doesn't he? He says, you're clean, but not all of you. Not not every one of you. He knows Judas is about to betray him. He knows the devil has already entered his heart. Um, You wonder if Judas halted at Christ's words when he heard him say, you're clean, but not every one of you. You wonder if Judas winced inside as Christ washed his feet there. Um, but I think Jesus' words here are aimed at um, all of us, in a sense, uh, to make us ask ourselves carefully, am, am I clean? Uh, am I trusting in Christ? Are my, are my sins cleansed? Right? Judas looked sincere. None of the disciples had any suspicion that he was about to betray his Savior. You can look sincere. You can look like you're part of the family of God on the outside, but is your heart cleansed of your sin? By Christ. Jesus finishes washing their feet, um, and he goes back, he takes his place, uh, puts his clothes on again, and takes his place of honor again at the table, um, and uh, He has shown his love, he's demonstrated his humility, and now he makes his application to them. And he says this in verses 12 through 17. Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, A servant is not greater than his master nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus is the Master, and he's the Lord. And he said that he did not consider it beneath him to humble himself to wash his disciples' feet. And he's saying that if he is... Very God of very God, begotten, not made, if, if he is King of kings, Lord of lords, in the Christ, the one to whom eternal glory and power are due, the creator of the universe, and he got down and washed their feet. Who am I to dare say that any act of service for him is beneath me? This is what the Father sent the Son to do, this was his mission humility, service, self-sacrifice. And now Jesus is saying to his disciples, he hints at this in verse 16, that he is sending them out as his representatives with this same mindset of humility, condescension, service, no task too humble for me. This is the mission he's put us on, humble, self-giving service of others for his sake two things, loved ones, that this means for us. Number one, um, find a humble task. Find some feet to wash and start washing them. Uh, Find a lowly little job to do, a thankless task to do, and do it. Do it for his sake. Uh, Do it because he's washed your feet. Uh, Serve the kids. Serve the elderly. Serve the shut-ins. Uh, serve those who cannot serve you back Um, do it with patience and grace do it not with a sense of this makes me feel self-righteous but do it with a sense of I'm the one receiving blessing here our Lord Jesus says it is better to give than to receive it is better to serve than to be served the lowest place in the kingdom of heaven is the highest place Uh, this is the way the gospel works the humblest work is the most glorious work in Christ's eyes. So find some humble work to do for your brothers and sisters' sake in our church. Uh, also, in, in addition to that, you may already be in that work, doing that thankless, humble work. And if you're in that for a while, it might get hard to keep on with a cheerful heart. So keep thinking of Christ. Keep, keep thinking of how willingly and gladly He served you And keep giving thanks that you get to do the wonderful, humble work that he's given you to do. And be encouraged. Second, another implication we can draw from his words here is that we need to be willing to have our feet washed. Not only by Christ, but also by each other. Um, It is humbling to get down and wash someone else's feet. But it's also humbling... To allow a brother or sister in Christ to wash yours. Um, We have to be willing to be served. So don't say to each other, you'll never wash my feet. Uh, Be willing to be served. Be poor in spirit before God and each other. Admit your need and ask for help. What would our church like if we excelled more and more in this? Uh, what, what kind of community would this be if, 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 we, if we take these words of Christ to heart and we humble ourselves and we count one another as more significant than ourselves, if we have the mind of Christ in this, in this way? Um, let, us, let us give careful thought to these things, brothers and sisters. The only way that we can do this and we can grow in this is if we are first loved by Christ and we know that love and we are first served by Christ, and we know His humility. So meditate on Him and His love. You have been loved for all eternity in Christ, and He will not stop, and He has humbled Himself to save you. So in that, in that, love, serve humbly those around you. By God's grace, let us be a church transformed by this glorious gospel of Christ so that we are filled with this kind of loving and humble service. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for all that you have done, uh, for the glory of your humility and your love for us. Lord, we pray that you would fill our hearts with it, that we might overflow with that same love and that same humility towards one another. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.